see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. I'm here again with Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, Andy. And today we would like to talk about a new release, a new movie that just came out in the past few weeks. And it's Denis Villeneuve's version of Dune. It's a science fiction epic film that also had has a long history, both in literature and in cinema. And this is the newest iteration. It's It was a long-awaited release, I would say. Many fans were curious how this one would turn out. It boasts a stellar cast. It has a very renowned director. And today we want to talk about this movie. Sam, as a start, give us a little bit of maybe an introduction into the story of the movie, what it is about, and then I think we will straight go into our review discussion. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Well, as you say, Dune uh, is an epic story of a planetary system of different feuding families. At the center there is obviously Dune, the desert planet, and on this planet, Arrakis, there is actually a thing called the spice that is being harvested, the spice melange, that is used for the running of spaceships, for instance, but it's also the source of energy, of power altogether. And so because of this spice harvesting, two families are feuding over that, the galaxy is feuding over that, and there's an emperor that is giving the rights for the spice harvesting to, from one family, the Harkonnens, to the other, the Atreides. And basically it's the, the beginning of that conflict between those two houses. And Paul Atreides, the son of Duke, Leto Atreides, is then at the center of the story. And he appears to be not just a regular young man, he seems to be a promising young man of special talents, which is also recognized by different groups within the story. There's a type of a Jesuit-like sisterhood the Bene Gesserit, and they are thinking that he is somehow the chosen one. And out of this story then, and out of this conflict around the spice, develops this epic story of the conflict between those two houses, but at the same time also the path of this 
Paul realizing that he has special powers. There's an important role played by his mother, who's also part of that sisterhood. And at the same time, she is in a relationship with the father of Paul, but they're not married. So there's that kind of social conflict. And of course, then it's about control over planet Arrakis, planet Dune and its people, the Fremen. And so these are the, I think, the main elements that are in place. And it turns out into mm. that story of controlling Arrakis, controlling the sandworms that are underneath the surface. And of course, getting control of the spice with all kinds of people trying to either fight Atreides, the Harkonnens, or the other forces that are around. I hope it sums it up more or less. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. The thing is really, it's not that easy to, to retell, to sum up the movie. It isn't. And I think <laughs> that's why also, because the movie is based on this famous science fiction novel by Frank Herbert. And for a very long time, this very popular science fiction novel, it, it was always deemed as you can't make this into a movie because there is a lot of yeah complex mechanics in it. There it, has, it has these Shakespearean feuds in it. There's a lot going on in, in terms of storytelling and also I think the characters in their monologues and their thoughts. And I think it, it, for a very long time, people were thinking this is not something you can turn into a movie because it is so complex. I remember reading it for one of my students a few years ago. And after having gone through it, I thought, how could anyone have turned this into a movie? This is before I saw any of the versions. So I was super hyped to see what especially Villeneuve had done to, to that story. And now, after having <laughs> seen the movie, I put you on the spot. No, what, what were your initial thoughts? Maybe let's talk about that. Well, I have to say that going into it, I didn't realize it would only be part one. I literally thought I would sit down and see the entire story in about three hours. And in a way, having just part one made it easier for me to digest all the information coming in. But at the same time, I must say Vilnov has managed quite well to simplify all those elements, to focus mm -hmm. all those elements really on the two families, on Paul's journey, on this sisterhood, the Bene Gesserit coming in. He left out a couple of things or just has previews of them for the second part. And in a way, I thought these three hours were kind of digestible. And he also limited all these forms of communication, of information to really the most important things. And I was sitting there and thinking, hmm, this is simpler than I thought. And at the same time, I was thinking maybe the novel isn't as complex as you would think if you take away all the, the fluff, if you mm -hmm. boil it down to the most important elements. What was your take on the kind of information density that the, the novel provides? Similarly to what you said, I also think that Villeneuve has done a great job in, in world building. I think if explaining somehow the world, getting the characters into motion, and I think it, 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 he does that in very nice ways. It's like, I mean, there are some tricks, obviously, like Paul in the beginning, he learns about Dune via this video book that explains him how Dune, what Dune is, how it works, the spies, the people, how they walk. So with the main character, the audience also learns about the world a bit. So I think there are a lot of these tiny exposition ploys that are not so overtly there, I would say. I think they're done in a very subtle way. And in that way, you really get drawn into the world. I thought, I think for me, the, I don't know, the first hour, really this exposition of, of the story of the characters and what they have to do. It was really, yeah, it really drew me in. It was very powerful. 
and I think that was that was really well done. At the core, I thought it's in a way is a simple story, and there's more connections to the you know the real world context of when Herbert was writing the novel than I remembered. I mean, it's basically this mm-hmm. messiah story with obviously different families and, and conflicts involved, but in a way that is at the center, and that is quite simple. I was also surprised that there's so many shadows of that world that Herbert was living in. This Middle Eastern type, Iraqis planet, with even a, a jihad, a holy war that was talked about, with the kind of European-looking families that were feuding over this planet, over this desert area. And I figured, well, you know, this is this is much less science fiction than mm-hmm. I thought. He was He was really also talking about conflicts that were really very present. Yeah, in a way I was underwhelmed by the lack of complexity then that the film provided, but as a, as a cinema audience, I think it was it was much easier to follow than I thought. Yeah, and I, I think also this this connection to to our world, to real life events, I think there there were a lot of images that are really yeah, evoke I think these, also the wars in the Middle East or, you know, when the main village is bombed and then Paul and his mother escape and then they see basically the city going up in flames and it's this town. In the day. I mean, they're really powerful images that somehow are put over our own worldview. So I think there are a lot of connections you can make. And in terms of simplicity, I would also say that maybe as an audience, also due to Game of Thrones, for example, or for other fantasy and sci-fi epics, we're much more attuned to a, a faster pace, maybe more surprises, more twists, more cliffhangers. So this very classical science fiction story in that light may feel a little bit too straightforward, but I think it still works. It still feels powerful enough and I at least this was my impression I really related to the characters and I think this is also due to the the quality of the actors that that are playing I think Rebecca Ferguson who plays Lady Jessica Paul's mother I think she's a really a really strong emotional backbone of the movie and also Timothy Chalamet as the main character is Paul. I think these two characters really carry the movie on their shoulders, also from an emotional standpoint of view. And then I think you have all these characters around these two that make it work. And I think everyone gets a nice introduction and they have their moments to shine. And I think it was really impressive to see such a big mainstream movie who has also this quality in terms of acting, in terms yeah, of, of visuals as well. I think there you can really see Denis Villeneuve's handwriting. Absolutely. I think you nailed it by this combination of cast and production design and having space to show that, to show them off. I think that's what I felt during the movie, even though it was a rather slow pace. And as you said, maybe a much slower pace than we're used to from big blockbuster movies. It really had that sense of quality of having time to see all these famous faces. I mean, Chalamet and and Fergie's not great. Oscar Isaac is great. But seeing everyone, you know, Jason Momoa, George Brolin and Dave Bautista, and of course, Charlotte Rampling in a very important key role was just was just grand. I mean, if you if you like actors and actresses from very different generations, this is a, a great watch. And I must say the production design is, is the thing that really blew me away. Everything from the the locations to the different spaceships to the different buildings, the, the styles of the different families, and then eventually also the costumes mm-hmm. that they were wearing, the way that the sandworms were designed and animated. It really had a great 
grandeur that I haven't seen in, in a long time and a, a certain consistent style as well, where you saw that all the different departments were working on one specific look that they were going for and that obviously developed over a, a long time. And again, thanks to the fact that it's part one, there was really no rush in getting all that story out. We could see how, how things built up in terms of Paul's journey. We could see the different conflicting interests. A lot was also just hinted at, for instance, the power of the sandworms and the role they're going to play and what Paul's mission now will be that he somehow leaves part of his, his family behind. I thought that was really the quality of the film. A bit also it's it's weakness because after three hours you're a little bit left yeah, wondering what is going to happen in part two. Where are all these things going to lead? And did I just not watch a huge prologue that promised a lot but maybe it's not gonna keep all of these promises. It's, it's a huge setup for the cast and crew to create part two. Yeah, I think this is probably the main critique one can have, I would say. Basically, the whole movie is setting up for a third act that is never really coming. Yeah, there are some forward flashes and you, and you see what, what might happen and whatnot. But I think it still feels somehow quite cohesive as, as a movie in itself. If you were to say, okay, this the second part is, they won't produce it anymore, let's say this. I think the film still somehow manages to close it in a way that you could say, okay, you know what I mean? I think it, the movie doesn't stop in, in the middle of a cliffhanger. I think it has not this these franchise quality. Are you trying to say that maybe they won't produce part two and I will just be left with... I don't think so. <laughs> but I but I think because the problem is that in many part one, part two, part... They, somehow they never really feel as, a, as their own mm -hmm. movie because you always need to have the second part to work or you need to have the conclusion in the end. And so first part movies, they always, yeah, they're setting up stories. They're, they're, they're doing exposition. And I think what the movie does with these flash forwards that Paul has in his memory, you somehow get the idea where this is going. And I think this is somehow rounding it off quite nicely. I think it's, yeah, okay, the movie's long and maybe after having seen it, you're like, okay, wow, this was a long movie. I didn't have the feeling that it was unfinished in a way, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, if I could have one wish maybe for the second part is that they could maybe replace the composer. One thing that I was struck with all movie <laughs> long was just the epic bombast that Hans Zimmer's score was was throwing at me. So I felt kind of exhausted, I think, also because of this wall-to-wall -wall soundscape. And I, I realized that it was mostly mm. the music that was doing that to me. You know, if they managed to somehow dial that down and then give the second part a little bit more space to breathe also in terms of the, the soundscape. But I'll definitely go and watch it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward, especially now after also having watched the Lynch version. I'm looking forward to the story elements that of course are in the 80s version already that will most likely be at the center of the new movie. But maybe as a final verdict, what would you say about the new Dune version part one? I loved it. I think it was really, for me, it was really a great cinematic experience. I think the visuals are really stunning. And as you said, you can really see there is a director behind it who has a vision for this story and he really goes through with it. I think there are sometimes a little bit parallels to his previous movie, Blade Runner, where, you know, all this, this sand, of course, and this, yeah, these emotions. But I think 
Denis Villeneuve for me is really a great director because he blends this this art house aesthetic, this art house scope with a mainstream sensibility. So he he really makes intelligent popcorn movie, and I think Dune is is really a great example of that. It's really a grown up Star Wars, I would say. It's really detached from all these Disney Marvel franchising that they've been doing with Star Wars, for example, for a very long time now. It, it really is an artistic expression of a director. And I think this is something I appreciate a lot because I think maybe apart from Nolan, we don't have that many directors anymore who have such a strong personal vision visually, but also in terms of storytelling. So I think this was just amazing to see in the cinema. And if you haven't done so already, go and watch it. And I also loved all the actors. <laughs> so um, I think the cast is really stunning. So for me, it all came together. Definitely, I agree with a lot of what you said. Definitely the fresh look, this exciting new mix. It was a wonderful movie to see at the cinema, finally, and especially after not having seen so much mm -hmm. at the cinema. I love being visually overwhelmed by it. And I thought it was partly the great feel, you know, it was a promising new epic series that was in store, something maybe for the ages. But I was really underwhelmed by the story, by this simple messiah story, by the simplicity of, of the elements in place. And like you said, it's a grown-up Star Wars, but in a way Star Wars, you know, stole from Herbert in a much more entertaining way to me much more kooky and and fun there wasn't so much fun in in dune yet it was all quite dark and quite heavy but of course that's that's the way it's it's set up in the novel as well so definitely looking forward to part two and uh, giving it a shot and seeing how Villeneuve concludes it he's a great talent and he assembled a lot of great talent for for dune so definitely something to be excited about a beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. to enter a world where the unexpected. Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown and incredible secrets have been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meat. Shall we talk a little bit about the lynch? version as well because I think for many people that one will be familiar after having tried a long time to make this it was Italian producer Dino Talerentis who made this into a movie in, in 1984. I read up about the tries before that to make it into a movie and there was apparently a version planned with uh, Orson Welles and with Salvador Dali and with Mick Jagger in the 1970s that didn't come through and eventually David Lynch who had just come off The Elephant Man and was not yet the cult director that, that he is now, was put at the helm of this massive production, European production, to make Dune into a, a movie and, and eventually also into a movie series. They were, of course, trying to ride on the success of Star Wars as well. It was um, heavily inspired by Dune in many parts and it turned out into a massive failure. The second movie was never made and thank God, because David Lynch, because of it, was 
able to make Blue Velvet and become the director that he is. We've both seen the film and maybe in, in comparison to the Villeneuve version, what stands out, what's great about the original Dune and what, what makes it into the failure that it became? I think the movie wants too much and I think the movie I think has a lot of pacing problems I would say. There is just too much crammed in. I think where Villeneuve was really editing stories and characters down to to a core. I think in Dune in Lynch version he really tried to cram in a lot and you have much more characters than for example in the newer version. The pacing for me was really off. I think there were a lot of nice moments as well. I think also somehow the introduction to the Atreides family and I think also there are great great actors actually but somehow yeah it's 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 messy the storytelling is quite messy you and, and you also somehow lose interest after a while this is what i felt i think i was on one hand i was weirdly fascinated watching it because it has also this now it has this 80s patina which is somehow endearing <laughs> And it's somehow fascinating, but at the same time, the, the story really doesn't move forward. I would also say that Kyle MacLachlan is maybe a bit of a bland choice as a Paul Atreides. He's just a pretty face and that's about it. And all the voiceovers. I think all the voiceovers in this I haven't seen a movie with so many voiceovers, which... <laughs> I think, I think we have to explain that I think in the book, Paul and his mother, they communicate telepathically, right? So they can communicate with their thoughts or, and, and there's also a lot of inner monologue. And I think the movie just puts that out there with a voiceover. So there is a lot of hushed voiceovers. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's a bit a messy movie all in all. I enjoyed watching it, but at the same time, it also has long stretches where it's just boring. Well, I just watched it yesterday for the first time and knowing David Lynch cinema quite a bit, I was looking for the Lynch touch, of course, and you can tell it in, in individual pictures and, and the way the characters are put into a frame that there is a Lynch touch. There's like weird moments as well that are not as weird in the new version, but you can definitely tell that Lynch didn't finish the film. Famously, he walked away from the film and the final edit, the cinema version that is two hours long was not the version that he intended mm -hmm. and he wanted to take his name away from the movie for a certain time. And you can tell that someone else finished finished it because it seems so heavy-handed at times the way the scenes are put together the way that the, the story builds up it felt long even though it was only two hours and 15 mm -hmm. minutes compared to the new version and so I was really underwhelmed by the heavy-handedness but definitely also a really stellar cast you mentioned Kyle MacLachlan who became later on of course the David Lynch character actor that he was in Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet but there's also a, a great cast including Max von Sydow Silvana Mangano, and there's a lot of, of great actors and actresses of Irish and Scottish descent, I noticed, for the Bene Gesserit sisters and for the Harkonnens. There's a lot of character faces there. I was also somehow impressed by how they were able to put together such a stellar cast at the time. Everyone apparently wanted to be part of it, and definitely it, it packs a punch much more with the soundtrack. I'm always focusing also on, mm -hmm. on the music. And there's a, a simplistic but a great score by Toto and Brian Eno. It, it really works well in the film, in the moments that there, where there's some action. But as you said, the problem is that very often there isn't much action. There is a lot of info dumping, people speaking to camera, people voice-overing. And very often they're trying to desperately set up this whole universe. And then eventually there is nothing that really happens 
happens with it. And that was so disappointing in a way that that was happening. There was not more made out of the also great sets, quite good visual effects, good score. All the elements seem to be in place for a hit, but I can see how put together and without the support of, of Lynch until the very end, it, it turned into a failure. It, it, it doesn't work as a whole. But the bits and pieces are definitely worth watching and uh, fascinating. And I even had the impression that Lynch, somehow he set the stage for Villeneuve's version to work. Because structure-wise and scene-wise, a lot of it is just the same. Absolutely. A lot of the, the ideas Villeneuve took over as well, but he assembled them much more smartly and, and cunningly into a cinematic experience that has great action, that is overwhelming, and that somehow sets the stage for then part two. The Lynch version somehow fell apart at the end. It was a, it was a massive mess. While watching the Villeneuve version, I recognized some scenes again somehow from the Lynch version, where it's like, okay, fair enough, both are based on this book. And I mean, you can't really just change scenes or dialogues too much. But I think somehow in some scenes they're really interconnected. I mean, I think the famous test scene with the Reverend Mother played in the new version by Charlotte Rampling and in the old one, I think by Shin Phillips, which is a really powerful scene. I, th I think they have somehow a very similar punch in a way. And also later on down when they visit the, the spice miners and on, the, on this plane, I think they're Somehow from the setup, they are somehow connected or you can see similarities in the, in the scene setup, which I found also interesting. It's probably also a little bit child of the time, this 80s Dune version, because I think, yeah, after the huge success of Star Wars, less successful iterations like the Flash Gordon movie version or Battlestar Galactica, I think in this early 80s, there was also really this appetite for science fiction. And I think the producers really tried to feed into that and also make it some how work and I think that's why there was a lot of effort put into it but as you said the, I think the post-production was really troubled so eventually it didn't turn out to be the movie that Lynch maybe had envisioned but as I said we have to be thankful for the fact that the version is there and that it was a failure because in a way it gave us the Lynch version that there is as a blueprint for what Villeneuve did later on and at the same time it, it opened his career to completely new much more personal movies and he was able to make Cal McLachlan into much more of a, a character actor in, in the following movies we have to be great doubly grateful for the failure of Lynch, for the failure of this massive undertaking in the 1980s, for Villeneuve then to, to build upon. And I think that's really what, what is so great about the new version in comparison now with the old version, that you can see how failure can be reinterpreted and started again to give us something much better, even though I would say still with a few question marks about the second part, but really looking forward to how it wraps up. There's a couple of really fascinating scenes in the second part of the Lynch version that I'm looking forward to. I can't say too much because it would be spoilering, but uh, there's some visually overwhelming moments and story twists and turns that will be interesting to see if it comes out in a few years, if it's not postponed again. So really look forward to that. I think now, for me at least, I think Dune has really kicked off somehow, I think, this cinema-going renaissance after the lockdowns, after all these closed cinemas for a very long while. I think 
now we have quite a lot of movies lined up that are coming up. Of course, there is one big one coming up very soon, which I'm sure you're very excited to see. Oh my God, I cannot tell you how much. It's just days away. And of course, it's the new Bond uh, finally coming out at the end of this week, uh, premiering at the Zurich Film Festival in just a, a few days. And of course, I'm super, super hyped. And uh, it's already decided upon that that will be our next podcast our next discussion and I, I can't wait for it so you'll probably hear our next episode sooner than you think of course it's great to have two releases back to back but of course we, we look forward also to more new releases coming out because that's what we've been missing for the past year all our podcasts were somehow based on belated releases on uh, stories that were related to cinema history and so on and now we've finally been able over the past few months to come up with fresh material to review and it's it's, it's great fun so i'm looking forward to that exactly so am i and yeah, I think this was fun. I hope you listeners also enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. And as Sam already said, we will be back <laughs> just like Mr. Bond. Hope to see and hear you next time when we are again ready for close-up. But Arrakis is Arrakis. And the desert takes the weak. My desert. My Arrakis. I do.